I'm Mary Shank, and this week on Legally Speaking, we hear from Maybe Huddleston, a 20-year veteran of rapid-fire English to Spanish and Spanish to English translation. The Venezuelan-born Huddleston appears at the Champaign County Courthouse almost daily in her role as an interpreter for Spanish-speaking defendants in criminal cases. Listen to what her work involves, and you might understand why she says 15 minutes of what she does is equal to about 60 minutes of other kinds of brain power. We'll be back after this. Hey, Jim Rosso, News Gazette Media Vice President, reminding you that we have a ton of podcasts available at newsgazette.com every day of the week, from Dave Gentry's Morning Show to Scott Beatty's News Hour to Brian Barnhart's Penny for Your Thoughts. Head to our website, newsgazette.com, and search for podcasts. Welcome to Legally Speaking. I'm Mary Shank, and today my guest is Maybe Huddleston, who is a translator slash interpreter, the one most in demand at the Champaign County Courthouse for Spanish-speaking defendants in criminal cases. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, at... uh, I will uh, out her age and say at 38, this woman has far more energy than two 19-year-olds combined. And I love watching you work, do the, doing the translations in the courtroom. Can you begin by telling us how you came to this line of work? And maybe that involves telling us how you landed in Champaign County. Sure, why not? So I started um, doing the interpretation type of work years ago. Um, probably when I was about 17. And I started doing more likely translation for the medical students. And I didn't tell you this before, but uh-huh. I, I was a translator. I started being a translator first for medical students and for dentists because they they can only do books in English, and I was translating their work. Oh, so okay. when I moved to the U.S. from Venezuela... Mm-hmm. I was able to to pursue this as a career, but I never thought that I would even get there. Um, so, yes, like I said before, okay. I came originally from Venezuela, and that was about 18 years ago. Okay, and why did you and your family come to the United States? Well, we are first um, line of immigrants from mm-hmm. Venezuela, mm-hmm. and everything started about almost 20 years ago when my parents... At my age, my mother, at my age right now, she decided to, um, why not? Why don't we take an adventure and go to a new country and learn a new language and see what's, you know, what can come out out of it? And so she started her journey by coming to this area, Champaign-Urbana, through a friend of her that she met back in Venezuela. Uh And uh, she decided to just make a trip. She loved the town. She loved the fact that we had the university town because where we come from, it's from a city that is also a university city, the University of the Andes or the Andes University, Uh which is very... Um, famous around the world, too. How, how big was your city in Venezuela? Uh, less than a million people. Oh. oh, my. You must have thought you were coming to the sticks when you got here. <laughs> Something like that. Um, <laughs> so it was definitely a huge change in my brain because obviously I'm not coming from a big city. I'm not a huge big city girl because mm-hmm. our town, it's 
kind of like a small town feeling, okay. university feeling. When the the only difference that I can notice between this area and our area back home, back there, it was that when the students were gone, the tourists will come in. Oh, <laughs> because we have yes. the longest cable car in the world, and we have the Andes Mountains, and sure. and it's cold and it's cozy and it's just like beautiful paradise place. Mm -hmm. So, um, lots of tourists will come in during the summer times when everybody's gone. So that was fun. So that's the only difference. Our town is empty, and that town was full of people, okay. new people. So your mom came on a reconnaissance mission. Correct. She decided she loved it. She did, and, and then, then she told my dad. Okay. And my dad said, well, why not? So that left me with two kids, a business, and my entire house, my business, and my college. Oh, my god. <laughs> that goodness. was too much for a about, I think I was 18 years old, oh, and I was great. already an entrepreneur. Uh, back then, I had in, I have a great company that I was in charge and it was an advertising company that I used to work with huge brands. Um, so um, I had about at least 30 people under my management. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so there was a lot of fun, and it was a huge challenge because I was going through college. I, was, I had a business, and I was teaching many other things in, in different areas of my life that I have. I, I used to love to do some... Um, other things that no one knows about, but I used to teach etiquette classes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, um, so basically I have to survive for a few months like that until my parents decided, you know what? We cannot do this no longer to you. We're going to go get our kids and yes. bring them home, our new home. To, to new home. Champaign-Urbana. So you were all together. Yes. But uh, when they told me to get on board, I decided that I was not ready. Uh -huh. I was just not ready because I already had my experience living in another country. Sure. Just a few years before that, um, my parents sent me um, to Connecticut to to study oh. my last year of high school as as an international student. And so I was there, and that's how I learned this oh. beautiful language. Oh, okay. So that came... That immersion experience came while you were still living in Venezuela, but came here for a year. Correct. Oh, goodness. Mm -hmm. So okay. I, I, I got into a really nice place in the United States. They spoke proper English, <laughs> and they were very polite and uh, very clearly speaking, and I was able to, to bring it up. But too. with a New England accent? <laughs> well, yes, but not anymore for me. <laughs> sure. Okay, so go back then. You weren't ready to leave Venezuela, but I think you expedited your departure. Yes, I did. Tell us I about didn't. That. I didn't want to leave Venezuela because I wanted to finish my degree in mm -hmm. advertising and in public relations, and I was about to finish when Mister. Um, I didn't want to bring him up. Okay. <laughs> Hugo Chavez. Uh, back back in the days, he became a president in Venezuela and they, therefore then years later he became a dictator in Venezuela mm -hmm. and so um, the first thing that he did back in my dates was that he closed my school oh. and I was going through a private college so he closed that college and that means that I had to transfer to a new college so that that definitely was for me more time 
Yes. So away from my family. So I have to take a decision. And one day my mother decided to go home in, back in Venezuela and, and told me this. We are going to get rid of everything. We're definitely going to make this move. We're going to sell the business. We're going to sell our home. Um, everything is going to be gone. And if you want to get on board, you're more than welcome. But if you want to stay, you're going to have to go find a roommate and uh -huh. find oh. a place to stay. Or you can live with your grandma. <laughs> that was and not an option. <laughs> she told you all this at the tender age of 18. Yes. I, I'm sure you felt a whole lot more adult-like than now looking back. You, you Definitely. <laughs> I felt like I had a lot of responsibility at that age. I, have, oh. or I, w I felt very independent and I didn't feel like I had... I was at that point where I can have a roommate or have that type of life because I I made it very different sure. lifestyle for myself at that age. I, I had my own income. I was going through college. I I felt like I had it all and I wasn't ready to make that move. So I, I decided to find, okay, you won. Okay, so she said get rid of everything and get down to two suitcases. Two full, days huh? later, yeah. Two oh days later, she had a ticket. She was coming back. And I have to basically quit my entire life in a period of two days down to two suitcases. Okay. And you did it. I did it. It was hard. Trust me. Oh, it was hard. I, I can't imagine. I remember, I think I said to you, I have interviewed fire victims. It's the same thing. It's like one day you have everything and the next day you have nothing. Absolutely. Similar experience. So you landed at Willard Airport. What, <laughs> what was your first thought here? My maybe? first thought was I wanted to pull my hair and I started crying. <laughs> felt more like eight years old then. Right? I felt like a little girl that was very disappointed because I wanted to land in Chicago. Uh -huh. because I had big dreams I, as an advertising person or someone that wanted to pursue a com communications career. Minimum, I had to be in Chicago so I can work for the biggest sure. advertising companies in the world. I had a few in mind that uh -huh. I, I knew they were in Chicago, and that was the first thing I wanted to do. Um, or minimum, I wanted to go through Florida and <laughs> apply to any of the radio stations or any of these mm -hmm. TV uh, stations in Spanish and just pursue my career as sure. a communicator um, in Spanish for the Spanish speaking community in the U.S. Happens to be that that was not the plan <laughs> and that was not going to happen. Right. Okay. Well, I, I, you confessed that you cried a little and then you cried some more. Um, were your were your brother and sister with you on this trip too? Yes. No, they came the before I oh. before before okay. me. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, what was the first order of business to get into college? The first thing for me was to get a driver's license, to get into college, um, and to get a job. Okay. So I got a couple jobs at different restaurants here in town, and um, I was just trying to manage my time around being busy and make it make my days go as fast as possible because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like to be around here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, you got the jobs and s somehow this led to your translation 
for medical students, right? The medical students translation services that I did was back in Venezuela. Oh, forgive me. I um I work as a when I when I went back to Venezuela from Connecticut, mm -hmm. that gave me a huge um, opportunities in Venezuela to become an interpreter for our tourist people that oh. came from the United States. Sure. And I went to a academic uh, for languages in Venezuela that it was called Venusa or V E N U S A, uh -huh. where USA from people from USA will go to Venezuela to teach. English and Venezuelans will teach Spanish to the U.S. people. Sure. So I will definitely, as a family, we took people from here and we taught them Spanish and they were teaching me English. So we have that exchange. So basically, thanks to that program, um, I was able to get more opportunities. So I work for different agencies for mm -hmm. tourism. I work uh, at a cultural center that I have to be the bilingual protocol person that will s let people know like what this art means or sure. you know different pieces that we had at that international cultural center and it was really neat to be able to be a bilingual oh, staff member at, at at that age you i'm know? impressed at how well versed you are in so many different areas uh, whether you whether you studied it or not it's like certain <laughs> suddenly you're a expert on artifacts <laughs> i don't know i just I, I i i like to be to keep busy i always told my mom since i was probably five or as i don't know five seven that the busier that you are the more successful that you will become <laughs> and that was a true fact for me so i always try to keep myself busy and doing a lot of stuff and it's all about good time management uh -huh. and that's how i i was able to do that so while i was working at the cultural center or the tourist agency, I had a students from the medical school calling my name saying, hey, I know that you work as an interpreter. Can you translate this book? Can you translate okay. this piece? Can you help me with my homework? And I have not gone through college yet. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but um, I did it. And back then we didn't have internet like we have now. So oh, sure. I actually had to use a dictionary to look up for very specific terminology mm -hmm. that I have no clue. And it's dental language, too, Dental right? language, too. And then a lot of more people came into me letting me know that if, can, I, can you transcribe this? Can you not only transcribe my work, you know, but can you translate that? Can you make it look good? Can you? So it was a lot of different things that I did for them, and, and it, it paid well. Sure. Um, so what were you, you ended up enrolling at Parkland, though, while I you were did. here, right? And what were you studying? I studied advertising again okay. in public relations mm -hmm. due to the fact that when I came and I told them that I was about two semesters almost to be ready to be done, mm -hmm. they told me that the best thing to do was to start all over oh. again. That that was not going to transfer because I have to translate everything and I said you know what I can do that and they, they told me you know that's probably too much work let's just start all over again maybe there that's not the exact word that they use but, but at the end of the day they, they they made it look like if you start all over again it's gonna go fast 
think about it, that you already were really good at it, and maybe you're going to take similar classes again, uh-huh. and maybe, you know, it's going to help you at the end of the day to be the best that you can be. And I promised myself um, in Venezuela that I wanted to be my top student in my college, and I was, surprisingly, but that was my first language. Sure. So I challenged myself to do the same at Parkland. Uh-huh. And I did got um, good point average to get a little bit of um, a new seal in that title so that I can bring it and say, you know, I did it. And not only yes. I did it, but I did it in another language that isn't mine. This is this is awesome. These are awesome accomplishments. And you're what are you up to? Nineteen by now? 20 I was years old? I was about 20 years old. And I years later, I've noticed that a lot of people that go through park on college, it takes them. More than two years, for sure. Two, three years. I did it in two years. Well, and a lot of us change our minds along the way. Yes. No, I I knew what I wanted. I knew that I wanted to go through this communication studies Mm -hmm. at the University of Illinois. Um, And I I got everything taken care of. I knew what I needed to take, and I did it. And um, I guess I'm pretty determined. (laughs) When I want something, I know what I'm shooting for. Absolutely clear. That's coming across. So, yeah. So, tell me how you got into, you went into the medical translating field for a while. Tell me how you got to that. I got to that because I, well, I I really wanted to go through the U of I and all of that, and that really didn't happen. I had to set it up basically aside because, meanwhile, I got married and I was very young, and I graduated from Parkland, and I had to get a real job. <laughs> so um, I was working full-time, and then I got pregnant. And having this baby gave me second thoughts about what I really wanted to do professionally. Mm-hmm. So um, I have many people surrounding me that mentioned that I could be a really good interpreter mm-hmm. and that, that I shall totally try that. And I was very, um, what can I say? Um, I was just hesitant about it. I just didn't want to do it because I thought that is something that I'm not going to be able to do. Uh-huh. It's too much for me. Uh, interpreters are very intellectual and they know <laughs> so much in I, I'm not prepared enough. Um, uh-huh. I, I don't believe that I can be good at that. That's too much responsibility for me. Okay. And so while I was going through one of the appointments that I had at Carl, I noticed that they needed an interpreter. I asked the question. I took the test. I passed. And before I knew it, I was hired. <laughs> And I was working as an interpreter, as a medical interpreter. So were were you just on call then, like 24-7? Did you work regular hours? It was on call. So, again, I had another job. And I was... And a baby. And a baby. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing radio station in Spanish 
um, in Rantoul that they had, they opened up a new radio station uh -huh. down there and I was busy with a newspaper in Spanish. And I, I always like to give back to my community and I do it very silently. I don't make that public. Right. Well, that's <laughs> but, okay. You um, can toot your but own I, 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 since I came in, I, I got very involved with the University of Illinois as a community member and, uh, we created this newspaper in Spanish that, um, was helping our community here to expand their mind, not only by learning Spanish, by reading a really good newspaper, but also for those Spanish-speaking people in our community right. that they can get great information, they can get their news in their first mm -hmm. language, and they can get to know how to go around this area. So that was a beautiful project. It was, obviously, it wasn't only about me. I only did the advertising sure. and the and the public public relations part of it, but uh, it was a great team and everybody was just volunteers uh -huh. and it did took many hours of our time oh. to do that. And it's hard to make money in any newspaper. Business. Oh yeah, no, and we didn't make money in the beginning. It was just us. It was just a labor volunteer. of love. Yeah, yes. it was a labor of love. It was beautiful. So, but you started the translating and you mentioned to me that that was difficult. You know, to have to tell somebody, hey. You yeah, my first assignment. <laughs> yeah, my first assignment was the toughest. Let's hear um, about it. <laughs> it <laughs> I wake up. They called me. I was on call. Mm -hmm. I had a pager back then. Oh, <laughs> remember oh, you that? Are old. <laughs> <laughs> and they told me you have to come in um, really fast. So I got there, and the first thing that they mentioned to me is that I have to tell this husband that um, his wife is gonna die, oh. and so I just looked and I go, what? He's going to die. She's going to die. Yes, she is going to die. We're going to have to disconnect this person. And I'm oh. like, Whoa. okay, I'm I not ready for that. I'm, I didn't sign up for this. I'm sleepy, kind of. Can I wake up? No, you don't have time. You have, We have to do this right now. Oh. So I got in, in in between the doctor and the husband and I was in the middle and she said, okay, are you ready for this? She, we're going to have, she's going to be gone. She's going to die. And he's, he said, okay, she's going to die. Yes, she will. Are you want to go say goodbye? And, and we did. Oh. Um, it was a very difficult situation for all of us. Oh. Everybody was crying. Literally. It was sure. very tough to let somebody go. Um, she just had recently had a baby a few days <sighs> earlier oh. and it was very emotional. Oh my and, goodness. And, and instead of me taking it as, oh my goodness, I'm not going to do this forever i mean i'm uh -huh. quitting <laughs> i took it as an inspiration that Atta wait girl. a minute this is something that i can help people and i can be the person that can you know transfer that message and be not only the doctor's voice but be that patient's voice wow that's huge okay so yeah, you get to take the sting out of it. I just felt like it was more than just having a job and, you know, someone that, oh, come here, you speak Spanish. Can you translate this for me? It yes. was more than that. It was a mission. Oh. And so since then, I kind of felt like I'm some sort of social worker that helps people with I, I, my other language. I was just going to ask that question. I feel like a social worker some days here. People call and say, can you do a story on this? Like I have limitless hours to investigate wrongdoing. And oh, would that you could, you know, 
fix everything that's wrong, but sometimes people just need you to listen. Yes, and they trust you. With me, I feel like they trust me so much because I'm <laughs> speaking their language. And the doctors trust me because they know I'm going to translate that for uh -huh. them. So I, f I knew that there was something magical about it. And I was part of this huge team of people that I thought, wait, this, this is something that I enjoy. Uh -huh. I do enjoy. And so much to the point that um, I keep people approaching me about going through the legal system. And I end up going, uh -huh. even though it was very intimidating for me. How long did you do the medical translation? I did it for a few years, uh, probably. Okay. I don't know if it was seven years. I think it was seven, eight years. And then did you go to the courthouse and say, I went here to I the am, courthouse. here are my c credentials? Yes, I uh, did. Call me if you need me. And yes. little did you know, they would call they you call every me. day. <laughs> they had an interpreter that was constantly there, and he decided to go through uh, legal school. And that's very typical. I have several interpreters from the medical field that they decided to go through medical school because they loved it so much. Because you're behind the scenes. You're seeing it. Mm -hmm. you're, you're seeing things that you don't see at the school. Oh, yes. And so um, I didn't get that feeling like I want to be a medical. You know, I, I don't want to be in the medical field. I have so much respect for them. And I just knew that I, my mission as an interpreter was as special as nurses and everybody else in the staff of sure. the medical field. So I went through uh, the legal field and he had to go. He decided to go through um, the legal uh, to become an, um, an attorney. And uh, basically that left my door open to, to stay as mm -hmm. the main interpreter. And I decided since I was just doing it full time, why not? Um, I opened up to the point that um, I... I keep getting phone calls from other counties and other courthouses and things like that, and it, be, it became a business. I was going to ask you about that if you travel. I mean, you're at the courthouse almost every day, aren't you? Correct. And they, I know there's a secretary to the judges. Is she your contact person, Jennifer Carlton? Yes. And, and so she just calls you on an as-needed basis, and then you're... What, self-employed uh, contractor? and Yes, I started it as a self-employed, mm -hmm. and then I move on as incorporating my name as okay. as an actual business, small business. Okay. And then um, Jennifer, what she does, her job is to let me know what appointments are going to be coming up, and I typically get an email with all the future hearings that we might have. Uh -huh. And so I have other counties that they do the same deal. And sometimes, or most of the times, I get a lot of last-minute appointments, which sure. I manage to take because, remember, I told you time management. I think oh, it's the yes. secret. And um, I always make it work. And everybody's always so open and willing to work with me yes. regarding timing, waiting for me a few minutes later, or changing the time so that we can accommodate. Um, and, again, it's not about me. It's about the service that we are providing so that things get done. It, it is a critical service, and I can say to our listeners that your your services are revered. I mean, the judges bow down to this woman. <laughs> if there is a Spanish-speaking case, you usually get to go first, and I'm sure it's because they don't want to overpay you because <laughs> your time is valuable. But um, The reason why behind that 
it's not only about the overpayment. It's more because I have to go through other judges. I have oh, to sure. go through different places. Sometimes um, I ask to be the first one in other counties, too, so that I can get to my next, the next hearing. Job. So um, if that doesn't happen, I'm okay with that. But then I have to it create a little bit of stress to the fact that, okay, I have to plan my time. How may I'm going to travel from this county to this county in this amount of time without right. going over the speed limit mm -hmm. so that I can arrive at this specific courtroom at a certain time and calling the proper amount of people that I have to co contact meanwhile sure. so that I can get there and, and, and look professional and still be okay. there for them. So now my questions might sound rather childlike, but I, I said before, I love watching you work and I sometimes get distracted while you're translating because I'm so enthralled with the way you do your work that I forget to take my own notes. Um, but explain what you mean by simultaneous translation versus cumulative translation. Yeah. Consecutive. Consecutive. Consecutive I'm sorry. Yeah. There are three, three types of interpretation. Mm -hmm. The interpretation can be simultaneous. It can be consecutive or sight interpretation. What, what do I mean by that? Um, when you do simultaneous, which is why I consider myself an expert, it's when you do the at the same time that the translation that interpretation is at the same time at the same speed mm -hmm. so i go super super fast as they go that's what happens in a court setting they like to go fast you go as fast as they do you get used to that speed and i'm okay with that let me ask this i know the judges like it and the attorneys are are pretty good are the defendants trying to figure out where they should pay attention or do they know just focus on you they know the interpreters we have to be some sort of actors yes <laughs> so you change voices i kind of like do the same voice that everybody else is using if you do a rough voice i will sure. imitate that if you are soft i'm soft and volumes up and down depending on how you are dealing with that and um and so basically i don't have to say he said well, i'm always first sure. person so yes. if if the judge is the one speaking, I am the judge. Okay. If the state's attorney is doing the job, mm -hmm. I am the state's attorney. Okay. And when it comes to time for the defendant to speak, I become the defendant. Sure. So I never have to say he said, she said, you know. Right. So. And that just annoys the the players anyway because it, as you say, it takes up more time. It just takes more time. Yes. So, and your brain is just like a ping pong ball, Spanish English, Spanish English, Spanish English. Pretty much. I always talk about, okay, I listen through one ear, everything that is coming in. It goes through my brain, and it transfers to, to Spanish or English, and then with my other ear, I'm listening to what I'm saying so that I'm, I'm making sense. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm looking at my dictionary if I need to find certain terminology that I'm uncertain uh -huh. about. And it's just a lot going on in that period oh, of time. Incredible. Um, there are, I have seen occasions when you have maybe put up a finger and said just a minute to one of the players, but that hardly ever happens. So yes. I'm quite impressed with your command of the legal lingo. Um, tell me, do you have a, a memorable case or a particularly difficult kind of case? I, I just... 
covered back-to-back sex molestation sentencings this morning, and I was like, I'm exhausted. Yes. I can't imagine having to turn to the defendant and repeat all the the detail. Um, do you have a... It's hard. Um, I have I have done it all. I have a lot of interpreters that they don't feel comfortable doing the se- sexual sure. assault cases mm-hmm. um, because they take it personal. And I have learned over the years, and I bet that's my journalist background, mm-hmm. um, so that I learned that when you're in the news... You have to be objective. You don't have to own a side. You're in the middle. And so that's when my journalism comes out and I feel like, wait a minute, I I may not be working in the radio station anymore. I may not be doing media. You know, I may not be on television or doing something that I was passionate about. But this is being actively (laughs) in the news uh, you're leave- I'm leaving the news because after right. I'm done working, you are basically writing an article about what just happened. Yes. So I feel like that's when I come out with, okay, I don't have any size, so I have no feelings. If you get 10 years, 20 years, I have nothing to say about that. I, it, it's not that I don't care, but it's just oh, I, I don't take it personal. I understand you have to. You have to learn to turn it off. Absolutely. And if that person did something really, really bad, <laughs> then you did it, but I'm here to serve you. Mm-hmm. I. It doesn't really matter if you have done something horrifying. I'm still there to serve you. Right. Um, so, again, that's my. I feel like that's my missionary part so, of the job. So outside of the courtroom, you're also on call to go to the jail, aren't you? Yes, I uh, am. I, I do visit the, the not only the jail here in town, but I do go around in other counties as well. I do work with the federal government as well, um, and I really enjoy that. I feel like it's more official. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun. I do have to do all the probation work and work with the U.S. attorney and work with uh-huh. the U.S. defender. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very fascinating to have a trial there due to the fact that I do have my own microphone and my headphones. Oh, yes. And I feel like I'm in radio station. And I just love that because I do have to articulate my, you know, my the way that I speak, my, my tone of voice. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that I learned going, you know, through my education in communications i feel like i i can use that mm-hmm. background that i have to become always a better interpreter it's just incredible um they have great toys at the federal courthouse they i like do. to say <laughs> the powerpoint programs in the in the courtrooms it's uh, it is pretty high tech yes that, that's nice um so you are um Heck, you're almost like a priest in some cases. I mean, you're you're in there with attorneys and their clients, and I assume you are sworn to not repeat anything that you're relaying between the two of them, right? Yes. Well, basically, what what I what I'm called is a sworn interpreter, okay, as a legal interpreter. Mm-hmm. So I have to promise everyone that I'm I am going to translate. Well, not translate, interpret, because translation means that I, everything that is written down. So if I'm if I'm doing a document about uh-huh. your birth certificate, which I do a lot, and I do a lot of uh, summons for Mexico or Guatemala yes. or whatsoever, I do translation. And that's when I go through my translation services, which I provide as well. But um, I do the interpretation 
of um, this job that I, I am performing, and um, that's how you 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 are promising basically that everything that it's been said, you're going to translate that for them. So accurately, accurately, or at least. It doesn't have to be like translation that it has to be l literally translated basic, you know, like with the meaning, obviously, because there is sure. a lot of th things that if you do literally, it's just not going to work. Sure. But um, accurately to the fact that it, it, the meaning doesn't go away. Right. Okay. Very good. Um, we talked about your business. Um, I was I stopped at Jennifer Carlton's desk today to ask about other translators at the courthouse. Uh, you are by far in the most demand. Um, I don't have the number of Spanish defendants versus uh, French or Chinese, but um, do you commiserate with some of the other translators at I the courthouse? Do. What are some of the things you talk about when I you do. get together. We, we have gone through seminars together. Um, I belong to the Midwest Association for Interpreters and Translators. Okay. Um, in other organizations like that. And so we do get together um, not as often as I would like to, but when we get to see each other, we exchange information sometimes. Um, but it's, it's very different because language, it's not only you know, a, a, a way to speak. It's also your background, the culture that sure. goes with it. So um, these other interpreters, they also have their other background. And, and it's just fascinating to talk to. I feel like it enrich our lives. And at some point, I really would like to do a group of the central Illinois interpreters where we can get together and learn from each other's because I, I believe that there is so much to learn. And a few years ago, they had the interpretation and translation services as the number one or top 10, basically, I'm not going to say number one, but more like uh -huh. top 10 careers or professions for the future. Okay. And that's, that's happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would mention some of the other people that we see frequently at the courthouse. French, um, there's quite a population of uh, immigrants from the Congo now. So I never had heard of it, but I covered a trial where the interpreter was speaking to Grinia. <laughs> um, I think that gentleman was from the Congo. Yes. I've heard Lingala. Um, there are also... We have Kanjoval. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You say it again. Kanjoval. It's... Uh, Central America? It's from Guatemala. And okay. it's one of the I, over 30 type of dialects in Guatemala. And we tend to have a larger community here in town. And we were able and lucky enough to find an interpreter that can have Spanish, Kanjoval, and English in... It's, it's amazing to me that such a small country can have 30 dialects. Yes. Well, <laughs> most countries do. We do, too, here in the United States. It's just that another way to speak. Sure. And it's not necessarily another language, but definitely changes a lot of meaning. Mm -hmm. and, and it's more from the indigenous or it's, sometimes it's Mayan dialect. Uh -huh. But, um, yes, we do have so many other interpreters from Chinese, Korean, we also have our Arabic interpreter. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so I wanted to get to the point that you're no longer crying about being in Champaign County. <laughs> For <laughs> life, sure, no. I think you told me life's pretty good. You hit the in-law jackpot, did you not, when you married into the Huddleston family? I sure give did. Give me just a little bit uh, about your the family that you got into and how they like your business and what makes you like Champaign-Urbana. Well, I, let me tell you what. I had. I came from a very short last name to a very long one, <laughs> to owning a very long one. <laughs> I had to make the best that I can take out of, out of it. <laughs> so when I met my husband, Burton Huddleston, I, I was introduced, well, he, he was introduced through his um, father, uh-huh. Roger Huddleston. Okay. He basically told me I have four sons and there is one specifically that I want you to meet. <laughs> and that basically happened two months out of um, two months after I arrived. Oh, boy. So, yes, I met him. Everything was kind of like love first side. And all I can say is about nine months later, we were married and 17 years later, I'm still around. <laughs> but, um, I'm still a Huddleston. So I, I, be, I was, I passed, I, going from Rojas, that was my maiden uh-huh. last name, from Rojas to Huddleston. And they had a lot of pride to the last name. And oh, sure. obviously they were very well known. And now they tease me that I'm the one who, <laughs> Who keeps the name going? <laughs> yes, it, they've gone from uh, modular homes to Spanish interpreters. Yes, it was more like before. It used to be, "Are you related to Roger?" Now to Roger, they tell me, "Are you related to maybe?" <laughs> Very good. Things have changed around, and I think I find that fascinating. And are your mom and dad still here? My mom and dad is still here. They oh. both work for the U of I. Oh, great! Mm-hmm. So everybody's happy about everybody's happy um, as. For being the first generation that we came in with uh-huh. no speaking the language sure. for my siblings, I was the only one basically who spoke English. And mm-hmm. then I was translating and interpreting for my mom and dad everything. Um, basically, my dad had to learn the language. My mom had to learn the language. Sometimes it's still hard for both of them, but I think that they manage it really well. Then my sister, when I, I was about nine months separated from my sister. Well, uh-huh. she came in and I was back in Venezuela. She learned so fast because she was only about eight or nine. Oh, that helps. So no one knows that she speaks Spanish. She doesn't have an accent like her older sister. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so basically she grew up like part of being a girl that grew up in Champaign-Urbana. She mm-hmm. has no ties with Venezuela whatsoever. I always tease people that I have my Venezuelan stamp in my forehead uh-huh. because I have a heavier accent. Now, my brother on the other side, he doesn't have an accent either as heavy, heavy as I do. And um, I feel like we all came out pretty good. <laughs> I feel like very proud of them because they both graduated from college they have a beautiful family, and I think uh, my mom and dad took a great, super great decision to wow. move here. What a, what a risk. I mean, yeah, you've all had uh, great success, and that's wonderful, and you're now a U.S. citizen, right? Yes, yes, we're all U.S. citizens. Oh, mm-hmm. yay. Well, it's super, yeah. Um, one last question. We need to wrap up. Um, do you continue to do other work outside of your legal 
uh, related interpretation or is that pretty much keeping you busy full time? The legal interpretation part of my business is what's really keeping me busy because I get phone calls from all around the country, not only now from just Illinois. I work for organizations in Chicago. I work for other um, agencies here in town. And uh, it's interesting how the word of mouth gets out there. And I don't even have to advertise. I think that my work ethic has been my best advertising. And I always, I'm all constantly getting new businesses thanks to the kindness of many, many people out there that they do enjoy my work. And to my, to my knowledge or the way that I feel about that is that only challenged me to learn more, to be growing even more and to just having more responsibility. Well, you are awesome at what you do, and as I've often said in our line of work, you really have nothing to give back to people except your good name and your promise to do the best that you can, and you're certainly doing that. Um, Maybe Huddleston, thank you so much for being my guest today on thank Legally you. Speaking.